Well, this is 4th of July weekend. We're leading into a holiday where we celebrate all the blessings that Allison mentioned uh, in her prayer. It's a time when we're grateful for our independence and our political freedom. But today we're going to continue our Stepping Stones message series by talking about a different kind of freedom. And that's the freedom of will that God created us to have when God created us in God's own image. It's a freedom that allows us to choose God or no God. It allows us to choose whether to be mature or immature. It allows us to grow or stagnate and to choose to be wise or foolish. In preparing this message, I've been influenced by a couple of pastors. One of them's name is Nadia Boltz-Weber, and the other one's name is Danielle Schroyer. They have been pastors and have become writers. And in their writings, um, well, first of all, Nadia had a, her very first church was called Saints and Sinners. And Danielle's church, uh, it didn't have that name, but she made very clear early in her book that her congregation, each person in her congregation was a mixture of saint and sinner. And so I'd like to give them credit for some of the ideas I'm going to share with you today. You know, my experience of church people is that there's people um, on the extremes. There are those who look in the mirror and see an absolutely perfect saint. And usually, in my judgmental evaluation, they are self-righteous, judgmental, and arrogant when they see themselves that way. So I might be talking a little bit about myself here. Others look in the mirror and they see a hopeless sinner and their hearts are filled with despair. They suffer from self-hate or self-loathing and they use their sinful natures that came to them because of what Adam and Eve did as an excuse for all kinds of bad behavior. But I'm pretty sure both of those groups of people are wrong. And that in fact, as Christians who are on a path toward discipleship, as people who long to know God more, we are both imperfect saints and hopeful sinners. Now, our view of how we see ourselves has been heavily influenced, especially in Protestantism, by the doctrines of original sin and humanity's fall and human depravity, which is a way that which are doctrines that evolve from a reading of Genesis chapter 3, part of the creation story. And so today, rather than read Genesis 1 through 3 from my Bible for you, I'm going to paraphrase it, but I'm going to paraphrase it the way we often hear the story. And if you're really familiar with what the Bible says, you're going to realize that I introduced some errors into our reading, and I'm aware of that. We'll get to those later, okay? But it goes something like this. In the beginning, God created all things out of chaos, and included in that creation was human beings who God created in God's own image, male and female alike. God told the humans that they could live in this beautiful garden and oversee it and that they could eat of all the good and plentiful things in the garden except they could not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then an evil serpent came along. Some say that was Satan in disguise. 
and tempts the humans to eat that apple from the tree. First, he convinces the woman to eat the apple, and then she convinces her husband to join her, and so they both eat the apple, and they realize that they're naked, and so they hide from God in shame. Well, God comes looking for them and realizes what they have done, and God listens to the man, blame the wife. Don't you love that part? I always loved that part. And then God threw them out of the garden. He banished them. But in the process of committing that first sin, the very nature of human beings was forever changed to be a sin nature, a fallen nature that we even sometimes call a depraved nature. Or so the story is often told. The focus on much of Christianity since about 400 AD has been on original sin and the resulting depravity of all humans. And that has diminished our focus and attention on the fact that we have been created in God's image. It causes us to think sometimes that God somehow cut back on God's blessing of us, that God's blessing was diminished as well. And we think of ourselves first as fallen and sinful instead of blessed and loved. Different Protestant denominations describe human beings and their doctrines this way. Humans are inclined to evil continually. That's in our United Methodist doctrine. In another doctrine of another denomination, we are made opposite unto all that is spiritually good and wholly inclined to all evil, and that continually. Another denomination says we are positively inclined to evil. And then the winning description from a denomination that shall go nameless is that original sin is the entire absence of all good, giving us a deep wicked, horrible, fathomless, inscrutable, and unspeakable corruption of the entire nature and all its powers. Well, no wonder we forget God's image in us. No wonder we fail to notice God's continuous blessing of ourselves. No wonder we forget how much God loves us because that's not very lovable. No wonder we find it hard to see the goodness in other people. Now, some corrections to the story I told you. First of all, it wasn't an apple. That's Snow White. <laughs> it was fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God did not curse the people. God cursed the serpent. God cursed the land by causing it to grow thorns and thistles along with the good crops that people could still eat. God did not curse the people. He made them clothes. He sent them from the garden, even though the translation I have here today says he banished them from the garden. The King James Version, the NASV, the NRSV, way more versions actually say God sent them from the garden as opposed to banished. God disciplined Adam and Eve by forcing them to work for their food and by causing pain in childbirth 
But God also continued to bless them with life. They didn't die. They were still able to have children and raise a family in a place that was filled with beauty and sustenance along with the thorns and the thistles. I mean, really, we live in Florida. Have you been to the beach lately and watched a sunset? Have you gone up on the top of a mountain? I know the students who went to, the T to TVR have. Have you taken a walk through the woods? God did not send us and banish us to a place of desolation where God was absent. It didn't happen that way. Now, I'm not suggesting to you today that we are always good, honest, generous, or loving. Because we're not. We sin sometimes. But we need to remember that we're still created in God's image with the capacity, the capacity to be good, honest, generous, and loving most of the time. So I think I'd like to suggest to you today a little bit of an alternate version of Genesis chapter 3. Not a version, but an understanding, a perspective. Instead of thinking of it as the story of the fall and the beginning of human depravity, let's think of it as a story of human beings coming of age. Adam and Eve begin in the garden like infants. Everything is provided. They never exercise their free will. They do everything that God says. Then they get a little more like, and sorry guys, teenagers. Those are wonderful teenagers over there. We all know that. They rebel just a little bit. And God has to teach them to grow up. God has to teach them that there are consequences for the wrong choices. So they're sent out of the garden into a world that still provides food and water and ways to make shelter. They have to learn to work. They have to learn that to be a responsible adult they have to pay attention to staying close to God. And they and all their descendants after them have had opportunities to continue to know God, honor God, love God, and be loved by God. I recommend that we consider that interpretation because I think it can help us to become better disciples. It can remind us that we are God's image bearers but who have to choose wisely when we make our choices. We should choose to expect the best of ourselves and see the best in other people. We should choose to choose God and choose good. And we definitely need to see people the way Jesus sees people. Now, you may be sitting out there thinking, oh, my Lord, the pastor's trying to soften up our religion by minimizing the effects of sin and making our faith seem like it's all butterflies and puppy dogs. Well, I'm here to tell you, I like butterflies and puppy dogs. And I think if we felt about our faith and about our God and about ourselves a little more like we feel about butterflies and puppy dogs, we might be better disciples. I want to assume that my neighbors are good people, and that matters. Because neighbors matter. And this is how we know neighbors matter. 
There is in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 22, you've heard this story before, a time when a scribe or a Pharisee approaches Jesus and says, Teacher, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' reply was not a new concept or teaching. We find both of those commands to love God in the book of Deuteronomy, to love our neighbor as ourself in the book of Leviticus. He was quoting scripture that had existed for thousands of years. Loving our neighbors as ourselves implies that we're lovable. And it implies that we should see our neighbors as lovable. And we can do that if we see in ourselves God's image rather than having our first thought be that we are depraved evildoers. When we think of ourselves as depraved evildoers, that's what we think about other people too, and it's hard to love that kind of person, isn't it? I want to assume my neighbors are good, loving, compassionate people, and when I open my eyes, they usually are. Here's an example for you. Last week, I was riding my bike in East Lake Woodlands, and I, there was a place where I had to get up on the sidewalk. There was sidewalk on both sides of the street. The side I normally get on was occupied by a young man who was out jogging. He looked like a teenager. Maybe he's a cross-country runner. And I didn't realize that the sidewalk I got on was encroached on by a big hedge that hadn't been trimmed for a while. And as I moved to the right to avoid the hedge, my, my front tire stuck in a rut in the grass. And I went head over heels, over the handlebars, and ended up, ended up in the hedge with my bike on top of me. I assure you, I would have gotten a score of 10 if the judges had been there. And then I heard this voice going, ma'am, ma'am, are you okay? And this boy who had been jogging had crossed the street and come over to me, and he picked the bike up off of me, and I got up and shook out my arms and legs and realized nothing was broken and gave thanks to my parents for creating me to be built like an ox. And all I saw in that young man was kindness and compassion and care for me, a stranger he didn't even know. The only hint of evil that took place in that entire encounter was an evil thought that I had, but which I didn't say, when he looked at me and said, ma'am, you know, they make tricycles for older adults. Maybe you should get one. <laughs> I didn't say what I thought. I just said, thank you so much for helping me up. And then he said, can I walk your bike home for you? And I, I told him no, and I shook myself off and and rode my bike home with bloody knees and a bloody elbow. And, you know, bottom line is, that kid didn't know me. That kid could have kept on going. A depraved human would have made fun at me from across the street. Ha, ha, ha. An evil kid would have kept going. But this kid came over and was kind and sweet and compassionate. And, you know, if we take the time to look around us, we'll see there's a lot of people who are exactly like that. God thought we were worth redeeming. God still thinks that. God showed us how to love others. 
God came to us in the, per, in the person of Jesus Christ to be our example. And in his death and resurrection, Jesus teaches us that we don't have to be as afraid of death as we used to be because we know that death is not the last thing. God wants us to be people who choose to exercise our freedom of will to live joyfully. He wants us to choose to anticipate death without fear. I know it's scary because we don't know what it's going to be like. But we don't have to be as afraid as maybe we used to be. God wants us to see God in ourselves. And even more, he wants us to see God in other people. And becoming a disciple is really about taking that next step to grow, to mature, to move toward God rather than away from God to embrace the divine Im image in ourselves and not to accept depravity as our natural state. Becoming a disciple is about being more like Jesus and seeing the sacred worth and God image in ourselves and others and especially seeing it in others who we might otherwise judge harshly or who are different from us, who are, don't have the stuff we have or who talk different or who look different. Those are the people in whom we need to see God's image. Yes, we should remember, we are all sinners saved by grace, but also that we are saints capable of choosing God and God's will for us. Instead of giving so much attention to original sin, what I'm really suggesting to you today is we ought to focus on original blessing and continuous blessing and future blessing. We should embrace that because it's God's gift to us. And when we do that, we grow up. And when we grow up, we become better disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen?